If you're online, you can give online. We invite you to participate with us. And as I said, my name is Shannon, and we're going to be going through the Bible today. (laughs) We're going to go all around the world. Um, actually, no, but this is Bible study, so we're going to be in the Word today. Um, my message today is um, something better for us. He has something better for us. Amen. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. This is something that we're all very familiar with. A faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the, el- the elders retain- obtained a good testimony. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray real quick for myself <laughs> because I think I need to get settled down a little bit. Oh, Father God, I thank you for opening your word to us today. Father, I ask you to help me. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate those treasures that you've shared with me. Lord God, that I can share with your precious people, Lord God, so that they can uh, receive and be benefited by the by what you have opened up in your word. Father God, we thank you for the better that you have in store for us today. And we receive it from your hands, Lord God. Father God, I just thank you for your peace. I thank you for your help. And I thank you, Lord God, that your word is light and life to us, Lord God. And we receive it from you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Hebrews 11, we all know it as the... um, Hall of Faith. Everybody heard that term, the Hall of Faith. Um, it has the whole list of all these saints that used their faith and received something. You know, Noah by faith built the ark when, you know, when he had heard from God. And Sarah by faith conceived when she what didn't have the power to conceive. You know, Enoch walked with God and was not. <laughs> You know, there's all these all these patriarchs of faith. But if you read all the way through the chapter, I find it remarkable that at the end of the chapter, the writer finishes it with this statement in verse 39. And it says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's just really something when you when you think about the fact that that they received all these accolades, they received the blessings of God, but they did not receive the promise because it was laid aside for us. Isn't that amazing? God saw the perfect picture in us and we now complete their history. We complete their story. And everything that they that their life and their legacy shadowed prefigured the substance of what we have now in Christ. And then if you if you continue on in um, Hebrews 12, so it's all if you read it, there is no chapter breaks when the when the letter was written. So it says God provided something better for for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as awesome as the feats of our forefathers were, our Heavenly Father reserved something better for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He saw the joy of our salvation 
in our union with him. And when he braved the cross and despised the shame of it, he was looking forward to us. And he forever sits at the right hand of the throne of God, the highest seat of dominion. That's where he sits as our advocate and our intercessor. And his resurrected presence declares our own justification. And I just think that's fantastic. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about the new, the new and living way that he has set apart for us. The new covenant calls us to look away from the shadow of the law and the prophets and their heaviness and fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the fountainhead and the conclusion of our faith. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 10, this talks, Paul is talking about the law versus the new covenant, the ministry of grace. And he said, now if the ministry of death written and on letters of stone, which is the law, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of the glory, which was bring, being brought to an end. So they, he had a glory, but he put a, a veil on his face so that he couldn't, they couldn't tell that it was fading. Even as quickly as they got it, it was fading away. So he said, he said that they came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Amen. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness much far exceeds in its glory. Indeed, in this case, what had glory has no glory in comparison because the glory that surpasses it. So as glorious as the law was with Moses and his face was shining, it's nothing in comparison to the glory that we have, the glory that surpasses it. If you look at that verse in the message translation, it says, if the government of condemnation was impressive, how about this government of affirmation? That's what, that's the way Eugene Peterson describes the ministry of the spirit as a government of affirmation. Bright as that old government was, it, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for all eternity. This, the new covenant ministry of Jesus Christ so far outweighs the glory of the old that the glory of the old looks like nothing in comparison. And so when you, when you look at this, I want to show you, it's like an illustrated sermon that we find in the, in the gospels that demonstrate this. And we're going to go to the mountain of transfiguration. So we'll start in um, Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, it says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said, Lord, it is good for us that we are here. If you wish, we will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, whom I have well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they only saw Jesus. They saw no one but Jesus only. 
And I like this account because when they were afraid and they were confused, Jesus always touches us and says, rise, don't be afraid. He always brings us courage when we're afraid. And I love that about him. When they lifted their eyes, it, it's, it's just like Hebrews where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When they looked up, they lifted up their eyes, they saw Jesus only because he, he is the last man on the field. He's the last man standing. So, um, I'm going to look at it now. We're going to break it down in Luke's account of the same occurrence. So we're looking at Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, just to stop right here, it says these two men, Moses and Elijah, if, if you look at it, that represents the law and the prophets. So that Moses represents the, because the law came, um, was given through Moses. So that's, um, so that he represents the written law, the history, and Elijah ref- represents the culmination of the prophets. And if you have the law and the prophets, that's, that represents the entire Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Together they signify the old covenant and Jesus was coming to fulfill this old covenant. And it says that they appeared in glory and talked to him about his departure. The word departure there means exodus. And so, so Moses and Elijah came to Jesus to talk to him about his exodus. And the way I see it is that Jesus's death and resurrection led us out of the bondage of the old covenant, the same way Moses led his people out of the, um, Egyptian slavery. So he was bringing his people out just the same way that Moses led the people out. And if we continue on in verse 32, it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter and Jesus Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he didn't know what he was saying. So Peter, he really didn't know what to say. He, um, I have this one commentary that said he did the polite thing and noticed that the two men were about to leave and suggested that we build three tabernacles for them, uh, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, because we might as well extend the visit. <laughs> we might as well kind of keep them here as long as possible. We want to capture the moment with a man-made tabernacle, with a man-made tent, and that's really what religion will do. We will, we will try to grab hold when God is in the middle of doing something. We'll try to hold on to it with our own strength and build our own tabernacle and make it last as long as we can. And there's nothing wrong with wanting things to last, but when it's time to let it go, we have to let it go because otherwise it becomes an idol to us. Now, this could be a callback to the Feast of Tabernacles um, because in Israel's history and their journey through the wilderness, when the cloud of glory came, um, they would construct a house for God to live. 
given. So this was not unusual for them. So Peter wasn't necessarily being unreasonable, but from a from a Jewish mindset. Um, but our religious traditional mindset wants to hold on to the glory of the old instead of realizing that there is a greater glory that's available for us. Um, and this doesn't only have to refer to like Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff. This happens um, for, you know, things, memories of our history. People talk about, oh, the good old days in Azusa Street or the voice of healing movement. And, and even though we honor and respect those things, we're to build on top of what we've learned from them and build and keep going. This is the expansion of the kingdom of God. Um, but this is also could be something just in our own personal life. You know, if we had an encounter with God, we're singing a song and it just hit just right and Jesus ministered to you in that moment. We can we want to go back and just keep playing that same song over and over and over and over again. And he's like, sing a new song to the Lord. <laughs> you know, there's he's always wanting to pour more into us, pour into something new. And sometimes we get um fixated on our preferences, our personal preferences, things that this is just the way we like. And I know that God will always move when I do that. When when you start putting God in a box like that, then you're going to miss out on the better and the more and the greater. You can't put new wine into old wine skins. So Peter wanted to build three equal tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And we cannot put Jesus on equal ground with our past heroes of faith. He stands alone. Jesus stands alone. There is no other name by which man can be saved. Jesus is not on equal ground with Moses or Elijah. His name has a higher position, and his name and his position is higher than any other name. And the new covenant cut in his blood is better than any other covenant. Amen? Amen. So let's look at Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking of Jesus, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need to have sought a second. So if the old covenant doesn't, the old covenant doesn't work. It's proof because otherwise Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But if the old covenant had worked, then we could have held on to it. But because it didn't, we have to be willing to let go of that old covenant performance mentality, um, our personal preferences and, and our own personal traditions to appreciate the fullness of Jesus glory. This new covenant is not an enhanced version of the old covenant. This is not Moses 2.0. You know, this is not, this is a brand new living way. We've never passed this way before. And Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside the weights that entangle us. That's the traditions. Um, these are not just weights of sin and, and sin consciousness, but also the weights of the requirements that the law brings. Um, even though we as Gentiles, and I don't know if anybody here is born Jewish, but as Gentiles, we personally, we were never under the law's requirements. That was something for, for the Jews. But if we read things in the Old Covenant, you know, we're reading the Old Testament and we're not bringing it through the lens of Jesus Christ, then we can pull things out of the Old Covenant and live in an Old Covenant way and not realize the beauty that we have in the New Covenant. Some of those things, they don't apply to us in the same way because you have to read everything through the lens of Jesus Christ. He makes all things new. Just for an example, um, there's a scripture that says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
And But Jesus himself prayed in John 14. He prayed to send the Holy He said, ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit who would abide with us forever. So he's already established that he's staying forever. He's not going anywhere. So praying a prayer like don't take your spirit from me is really not a scriptural prayer, even though it's in the Bible. It's not scriptural for us to pray that way because it contradicts the work of the cross. So let's go back to the um, the mountain <laughs> with with Peter. And um, in Luke 9, verse 34, he says, and Peter was saying these things. A cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So the shadow of the old covenant can no longer substitute the substance of Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the substance that of things that we have hoped for. He is the evidence of everything that the prophets foretold. So it's kind of like once you eat a good steak, McDonald's hamburger doesn't do anything for you. <laughs> you Once you tasted of the heavenly gift, once you have tasted of the good things, then the, the old things, are they just can't satisfy you anymore. So as New Testament believers, we need to adjust our appetite. We need to adjust our appetite to not be satisfied with shadows of the old, but in the substance, in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can satisfy what we need and reveal what we are searching for. So I'm going to take you over to Romans chapter 3. And um, I saw this picture in there, and it kind of reminded me of the transfiguration. So I'll, it's starting in verse 19. It says, we know that whatever the law says. So this is in Romans 3. Um, Paul is kind of laying the groundwork that how all are categorized under sin. So, so people, Gentiles outside of the covenant, they have no excuse because creation declares the glory of God. And then the Jews are no, have no excuse because they're under the law and the law tells them, you know, what to do and who God is. Then nobody's under excuse, have an excuse. So this is where it picks up. And it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law or by obedience to the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law reveals the knowledge of sin. But now, in the new covenant, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So right now it's, it says right here that we, that being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the righteousness of God was revealed and it was witnessed by the law and the prophets as it was witnessed by Moses and Elijah. And they saw Jesus in his fullness. And right there it, it, they had to acknowledge and step back. Because the righteousness of God is much greater. Here, the Apostle Paul shows how the new covenant righteousness far surpasses the glory of the old covenant. This is the something better that the old covenant saints never experienced. It is a justification by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus himself is our righteousness, our wisdom, and our sanctification. So as we look to Jesus, we ourselves are also transfigured. The old covenant keeps us blind to the glory of God, but when we look at Jesus, the blindfold is removed. And as we behold him, we are transformed into his very image, not by our works or our performance, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is um, found in 2 Corinthians 3.15. But to this but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person t- turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed or transfigured into the same Im- image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So that transformed, transfigured is the is Greek word metamorpho, and um, and is it, you like that? I like that too. And it says um, it's the same word that was used. Um, describing what happened to Jesus on the mountain where he was made dazzling white, his face changed, everything about him changed. It's the same root that we get the word metamorphosis that we think of a a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's that metamorphosis. And it's not like the, the caterpillar is changed into something that's completely different. He's being changed into what he was born to be. He is becoming, in that growth process, he is becoming what he was always destined to be. And so that is what happened. When we're beholding Jesus and we're being transformed into that image, we're stepping into what we've always had on the inside of us. It's not something brand new. It's something that is being birthed on the inside of us. I guess the best way to say it, it's it's hatching, cracking open, and it's shining on the outside of us. And as we behold Jesus, it's finally coming to the surface. And we are becoming what we were always designed to be, the treasure that's in this earthen vessel. Um, so there's no reason to seek Old Testament manifestations of the glory of God. Um, Moses had was limited to just looking at God's backside. You know, he said, let me see your glory. And so he was hidden. He said, you can see me from the back. Um, but we behold him face to face. The priesthood couldn't stand to minister before because of the glory that had filled the temple, but now the glory has filled our temple. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the Ark of the New Covenant. And as the temple of God, we are filled with the person of Jesus Christ. We are his bride. We are his body, and we are complete in him. So now we see the glory of God no longer from from behind, but in the face of Jesus. And that is in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that God of creation, who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We get to behold that face-to-face intimacy as our inheritance as a new covenant believers. The unveiling of Christ in human life completes every man's expectation. So that's what all men seek Jesus. We're all looking after him. And the expectation, the, the hope that we all have on the inside of us is, is um, satisfied and answered 
in the availing of Christ within us. When we, when we start realizing who we are in Christ and the treasure that he's put on the inside of us, there becomes a satisfaction and a contentment on the inside of us where, cause it's kind of like we're finally home. We finally found what we've been looking for, you know, and Abraham, you know, he was said, go to a place called there. You know, it's like, it's like he went, he didn't know where he was going, but he was looking for a city who's, um, maker was God, the builder and maker was God, and he was looking for something, but we found that home. We found that place that Abraham was looking for. So um, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and to fill up in my flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but is now revealed to his saints. So I love Paul, but he's got a run on sentence. But 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 it's like if you, it's just so rich. So you have to kind of just let that soak in. He says, this is the mystery which was hidden from ages and from generations, but is now revealed to his saints. And that's us. To them, God will to be to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, and if you look at it in the message translation, it says that the mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out and in the open. God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know the rich, glorious secret inside and out regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery, in a nutshell, is is just this. Christ is in you. So, therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of the message. And so I, I had always heard that God won't share his glory with anyone. But it says right here that he will. And Jesus prayed to share his glory with us. If you look at uh, John 17, it says he's praying to the Father. Jesus, this is really the Lord's prayer. <laughs> this is Jesus is actually the one praying to the Father, and he was praying for um, he was praying for his disciples. But then he also prayed for us. He said, "I don't only I do not ask for these only the disciples that were with him on the earth at that time, but for those who will believe through their word." So that's us because we believe in the Lord Jesus because of the words of those disciples that were with him at the time. <clears throat> that um, that they may all be one, just as you Father are in me and I in you that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may, may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. So this glory that he received from the Father was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it was eyewitnessed by Peter, and Peter writes about it in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And it says, so Peter is saying, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's giving the account. And this glory that that he said that he received from the Father was this word. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This same glory, that love, the approval, the pleasure of the Father, that is the glory that is shared with us. And that was given to Jesus, and that's our identity with him. We are one with him. We are loved by the Father in the same way that he loves the Son. And that's an extravagant love that we have received in him. So we can arise and shine, for our light has come, and his glory is resting upon us. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm done. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your blessing to us today. Father, I thank you for your spirit that will continue to um, unlock these things, these seeds that were sown of your word. I thank you that it will bear much fruit that remains, Lord God. And I, I just commit it to your care, Lord God. We submit these things to your care. And Father, we thank you for keeping us safe, keeping us healthy, keeping us strong, keeping us focused on you, Lord God. We just thank you for being um being everything to us you are our everything and we love you and we depend on you and we thank you lord for the adventure of following after you into the new things for the new things that you have in store for us lord god we just thank you to open our eyes to see open our ears to hear your voice in a new way lord god i just thank you that you just unlock the treasures to us that you have been it's it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, Lord God. So I just thank you um, for having your way with us, doing your pleasure with us, and give us those things in the kingdom that we need and that we can cause to produce for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.